welcome to the first proper episode of the Gary Anderson F1 show. You may have heard our little taster episode, but that's just the beginning. I'm Ed Straw, but really, this podcast is all about Gary, one of the most experienced, sharp, insightful characters in motorsport. He's certainly someone I've learned a huge amount from, and he always still has plenty to say, even in this case, when the Australian Grand Prix we were expecting to talk about in this episode did not happen. The podcast is going to cover all sorts of F1-related topics. We'll have different formats for different uh, different episodes, but you'll get your weekly dose of what Gary has to say. But yes, Gary, this, this was a, a really weird weekend, wasn't it? In fact, it wasn't even a weekend. No, it has been a very strange few days, and I think the end result is uh, a bit of an embarrassment for Formula One, really, I suppose you might call it, because you know, other formulas uh, like MotoGP, I mean, they've, they've reacted to this situation and Formula One let, what, 3,000 people travel all the way to Australia, 20 tons of, um, of 20, 25 tons of cargo from each team plus two cars. And, you know, at the end of the day, all for nothing, which is a bit sad. And, you know, Lewis Hamilton summed it up, you know, money is king, I think. Um, it was all mainly about who was going to take the hit for it, basically. So, it's a bit sad that had to happen, and you know Formula One continues this sort of trend of thinking it's it's uh, sort of bigger than the rest of the world. Whatever, actually, it's it's irrelevant in, in the big picture of uh, health and uh, and people's uh, people's health and safety. Have you ever actually kind of been through a weekend a bit like this in your time in Formula One when there was sort of strange things going on? Shall we say? Obviously, we've had a few times when unusual goings on have uh, have happened. Is there anything you could compare it to? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think <laughs> I suffered from food poisoning once in South Africa, but that's about, about my limit on it. But yeah, mo- most of the other stuff that's happened really has been through technical arguments or fights between teams and, and uh, F- FISA or FIA as, as now. Uh, so it's always been a, a handleable uh, situation. This is just a way out of way out of control for everybody, really. To be honest, it's, it's you know much much bigger than any sport. And as we're seeing, you know, all sports being abandoned. Um, the UK seems to be a little bit slow to react to it all, to be honest. Um, but, you know, the rest of the world are shut, shutting down quite dramatically. So, uh, no, it's never happened before. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, Formula One's going to have to prove itself now to be actually bigger than what it's shown for Australia. It's going to have to show what, you know, make decisions for the rest of the season very, very quickly, um, as opposed to just letting it dwindle along, you know, day by day or month by month. I know there's more news every time you know, the, the the media come on um, or the news channels come on TV. There's more news of the rest of the world. But at the end of the day, still, we have an organisation that should be uh, leading as opposed to following. And um, that's very important that they show their strength right now. Yeah, I think there, there were some elements of this weekend that were a bit of a, a mess. We've now at least got a reasonable idea of how long it's going to be before there's any chance of things restarting. And it it could definitely be uh, be much longer. I mean, you've got some ideas we'll talk about in a bit about how Formula One can get its calendar done. But just in terms of if you were presented with this, if you're a technical director and suddenly you've got minimum two months of hiatus, if you like, probably even, perhaps even more than that. What what would you be doing in terms of the potential development gains, etc.? Would you see it as a great opportunity because you've got a huge amount of time to run the car uh, in in, the, in simulation in wind tunnel and hopefully improve it? So when you do hit the track, you're in much better shape. Is that a good thing, or is the lack of real world data going to be a big problem? I think the lack of real world data will be a problem. I mean, most teams will have some sort of development path underway right now to try to you know put on the cars for Barcelona or Monaco or wherever 
because uh, that was the plan. Um, but to change that direction or, or increase it or do more is probably quite difficult, to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure they can optimise the car setup a little bit on, on the simulation, as you say, but I don't think you can just add to that development programme because it will have been pretty robust from every team. Um, the, the, the thing, big thing now is actually getting it, uh, getting it turned around in time because obviously uh, in the UK, we're, you know, we're going to have to shut down places. There is going to be factories shut down. There is going to be less people going to work, all that sort of stuff happening, you know, just outside contractors, all sorts of stuff, suppliers. So it is definitely going to have to be managed quite, quite uh, cleverly. But you've got to look at the other side as well. You can't keep spending money if no money's coming in. I mean, I know there's this settlement stuff from the organisers that, you know, they paid um, Liberty Media X amount of money to go and put, a, put a, a race on at a certain event. And that's going to take a lot of political wangling to get that money and make sure it goes to the right home. Um, and then the question you've got to ask is, what is the right home? You know, the teams aren't suffering the expense. Yes, they suffer the expense for Australia, but they're not suffering the expense of the other races. So in reality, Liberty Media are within the rights of not not paying the teams anything. And if the teams haven't got any money coming in, really and truthfully, very few of them can actually spend money on development. So it's just the big boys again, you know, they get the whip hand on everything. The smaller teams that, that are using that budget logically through the season with the plan of finishing an X position in the constructors are going to lose out dramatically. Yeah, as always, that's always the way, isn't it? And I, and I guess with the, the question about the 2021 development, I mean, obviously we're hoping that the 2021 season will start as normal, although who knows what's going to happen uh, over the coming months uh, in terms of the global situation. But obviously they can't neglect that. So that has to be a, a, a priority for them to make sure that they get they get things done on that side of things. So I guess a lot of technical directors will be kind of restructuring and reworking out their their timelines for things and and how best to balance those two things up i guess they they could all almost argue they could switch a bit more onto 21 now if they feel that the uh the 20 project can be put on hold for a little bit yeah i'm sure that will happen but you know 2021 is a a huge expense for anybody um so i think they've got to look at that very very carefully because you can't just keep on going blindly down this alley of spending money um without some idea of when you're going to recoup it. As you say yourself, you know, will 2021 happen, actually? You know, we don't know yet when this uh, problem will, will sort of start to ease itself a little bit. It could be right into 2021, you know, we never know. So what's the point of spending lots of money uh, for 2021 if you if you haven't got it coming in uh, during 2020? So you need to be very careful, and that's why I say really that F1, FIA and Liberty Media need to stand up and be counted pretty quickly because there's no point in the team spending a lot of money in 2021 if they're going to turn around in June or July or something and say, look, um, we're going to have to sort of abort these changes or regulations. So uh, big decisions have to be made very quickly before these teams spend you know, multi-millions on something that might not happen. Well, let's talk about some of your ideas about how to claw back the losses, as you put it. Uh, One of the things you suggested was a controlled development plan related to this year and and next year. So how would that play out? Well, we're at a position right now where the cars all went to Australia and the level that they're at to to go racing. Um, They have probably been uh, scrutineered and done all that sort of stuff, so they're ready to go. And the teams and and the FIA should be aware of of the specification the cars were in. And they could very easily say, okay, for this year, um, we're going to limit the amount of developments you can do because there's no point in spending money if it's not coming in. So 
the end result would be, that, let's say, you would be able to change your front wing or change your rear wing, which is a, sort of the two areas of change that you do based on different circuits, allow you to do a bit of development, um, but not to get into the sort of real intricacies of the car. Uh, so I think what we saw from the test in Barcelona, good, bad or indifferent, the, the pack, the grid was closer together than it was before. So it, it, could, it should be a stepped improvement to 2019 as far as competitive level is concerned. So somehow, if the money's not coming in, you can't, the money can't go out. So you can't just keep developing this year's car and next year's car. So I, I would say, if it was me, I'd be pushing pretty hard to say, look, put the 2021 regulations off for a year. The car you've got now, you've got to race through 2021. Um, the specifications in now, but there is no development. And just because we don't know, as I say, when this thing's going to end, this could carry on. It could be June, July, August, September, before we get any indication of a clear of it clearing up a little bit. And... Um, you, you know, as I say, the teams can't just keep on spending money. So if we can go racing, try to limit the amount of money people can spend this year and try to limit the amount of money people will spend next year, giving 2022 a big opportunity with the new regulations to be done correctly. Because from, you know, knowing what I've, information I get from some of the teams, nobody's really all that happy with the 2021 regulations, even yet. So there's room, I'm sure, as development, as research goes on, to sort of dot the I's and cross the T's on it. So when it does happen and it does come out, um, the cars achieve the goal that was, achieve the objective that they were put in place for to get better racing, get closer racing more consistently and try to close up the, the, the field. If you're going to do something and spend all that money, you might as well try and achieve the goal. So there's ways of trying to limit the expenditure, uh, which could be done very, very easily during this period. Um, and with this period, the end of it not really being understood, you need to make sure you're not going and spending money wildly just to just to create something that might never actually race. It's interesting, isn't it? Because what you suggest there is a good pragmatic solution could work very well financially, but I guess there'll also be some some push and pull in terms of they'll some elements will want the 21 regulations to happen because they're convinced these will be the the things that deliver F1 to the to the promised land, won't they? But I, I guess in these circumstances, being kind of conservative, pragmatic, sensible is, is the right thing to do, isn't it? Because that'll just make things more stable for everyone. We don't want teams to get into financial trouble. We don't want people to lose jobs. So this, this is the point to be very cautious, isn't it? This is the point to be very cautious. And also, it's the point to show that Formula One isn't blind to everything else that's happening, which it, it did, you know, it showed leading up to Australia that was completely blind to the world outside of it. So, you know, for the race weekend to be cancelled on the morning of the of the practice duty start, it's just absurd, to be honest. You know, all that stuff leading up to it, it's not just fun. It isn't just fun. All those people that were going to come and meet up somewhere along the line. Um, you, somebody had to know that. You know, somebody had to realise that this was a bit dodgy here and there, especially never every, everything else. Um, you know, you take a premiership, you know, it was shutting down football matches, it doesn't do that, you know, for nothing because the investment, the money involved, you know, we've got players there that are earning disgracefully as much as Lewis Hamilton probably. And so their weekly wage is enormous that they have to be paid. And if the crowd aren't coming in to watch the games, there's no money coming in. So at the end of the day, you know, even though the financial hit is going to be huge, decisions needed to be made and they weren't made. And you need, they need to show now they can make decisions for the future. 
and recover that ground that they lost. I mean, MotoGP didn't stand around. They were instant at doing, at reacting to what was going on, and uh, I think rightly so. And when things do finally get going, currently there's a suggestion it could be at the end of May, maybe the Monaco Grand Prix, maybe back at the start of June, although with the whole coronavirus situation, that could go on longer. And in fact, some projections suggest that 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 that'll kind of be the point where it peaks in Europe, which we should say the World Health Organization has said Europe has become the center of the, the pandemic. So it could be much later than that. But Ross Braun has talked about the hope of getting as many as 17, 18 races. He's mentioned various ideas like having two-day weekends as an, op- as an option. You could even you could even have double-header weekends if that's absolutely necessary with two races on a weekend. So, so how would you view that the best way for Formula One to go about maximising the number of races while also making sure that people like, well, yourself when you were working Formula One teams and the people you were responsible for in your in your technical teams, allowing them to go racing without flaying them excessively and asking too much of them well i think you've got to shorten down the weekend ross is is proposing that i think to the two-day weekend a lot of people have been talking about it for a long time um what we have right now is quite a bit of wasted time over a weekend i suppose you know as a spectator going to one of these meetings and paying a lot of money i think if you saw two action-packed days on saturday and sunday which actually is the weekend you know, you'd be far, far better instead of having to take a Friday off and you have to maybe get there on the Thursday so you've got holidays to take to, to match up to a Grand Prix. If it was just a Saturday and a Sunday event, then I think it would, you know, it would shorten it for everybody. It might be harder for the group of people at the race meeting. You know, we, we talk about this, but, you know, we do have the curfew situation and all that sort of stuff now, so the teams do get more sleep. You know, back in the old days, whenever we were a, a team, a small team in Formula One, you know, with Brabham or McLaren, there was like eight people went to the race, 10 if you were lucky. And you start at work on a Friday morning, you were lucky you went to bed before Sunday night. So, okay, it's, it's tough. It's hard, it's tough work and all that sort of stuff. But it's always been that. It's, it's, it's a spectacle that you want to do as a person. You know, I, would, I was much happier to work on a Formula One team and might not sleep for two days than working down the garage, getting covered in diesel oil from, you know, a tractor or a or whatever. So you make your choice in life of what you're going to do. And those weekends are tough. They're tough for the families because you're away from your family all the time. But if you shorten that weekend a bit, most teams will arrive at a race meeting now on a, a Monday or a Tuesday and, and get sort of set up. Just You have to stop all that happening. Somehow you bring it bring it down to a, a much more manageable amount of time. And then you can have double headers without it being too, too big a drama. And maybe you have a 50% sort of... Um, overlap of people so that you know 50% go to the next race and, and a new 50% come in so you can make it that it, it works within these teams I mean they're the big teams are a thousand people smaller teams are four or five hundred now so you should be able to take you know a random amount of people to each race you don't have to take exactly the same people as long as you have a bit of an overlap you'll you'll still survive you'll still get continuity so um, there's ways to solve it I think what we have to make sure is we give back to um to the, the public and the spectators, a sport that that can be seen to be trying to address the situation, whenever that if that situation does arrive, and as you say, I you know I'd probably focus right now, from my point of view, on saying right, okay, we'll we'll try to get to Monaco, um, that's that's the objective. Forget the ones before Monaco, let's get to Monaco, and then if it gets to within a month of Monaco, 
and nothing's changed, then you move it on for another month and you try to just keep going that way. But you have to make decisions early. You can't make decisions too late. So something has to be done. I think a two-day weekend helps everybody right now. A lack of a, a change in the development, the amount of money spent will help everybody. Um, I think people can recoup some of the lost, lost finances. Well, and in fact, you, you've worked out a little bit of a Saturday-Sunday timetable, which will run on the, the race.com uh, website, which uh, fits everything in. So Porsche Super Cup, F2, F3, F1, with F1 qualifying in the morning on Sunday and then the race on uh, Sunday afternoon. I think that would suit pretty much everyone. I imagine the Porsche Super Cup competitors might dislike your 8 o'clock uh, on Saturday morning practice, 5.30 on Saturday qualifying, and then first thing on Sunday morning race. But uh, I guess they, they've got to just uh, put up with it, haven't they? <laughs> Well, you know, we've all got to, 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 we'd all have to sort of buy into the fact that it needs to be done. Something needs to be done. You can move those bits and pieces of schedule around to sit. They're just sitting down and trying to work out, you know, you need sort of a 45-minute practice session for quite a few of the cars. You need 15 minutes track clearance afterwards. So you, you just put those practical terms into it and um, you end up with a situation where you end up with a programme. It starts in the morning, ends at night. Um, and that for the public sitting in the grandstands or going to the track and paying their money would be very effective. For television, it would be very effective. It's very little lost time. It's just going to be bish, bash, bosh over the weekend with, with um, running on the track, which is what you know, we all want to see. As I say earlier, there's, there's a huge amount of lost time over a race weekend, even for the people there, including yourself, I'm sure. You know, there's a, a lot of boredom sets in over the weekend. You can go and chase down some little stories here and there, but... You know, when there's no track action happen, happening, you know, for the public out there in the grandstands, there's no track action happening. There's nothing going on. You know, you go and try and buy a burger and it costs you £10 or something. So you have to put the track action on now to recover from this situation. Coming back to the kind of the, the, the way the weekend what, uh, went, what's it kind of like to be on the inside when there's this sort of turmoil going on and all these question marks going around? You don't really know what's going to go from one moment to the next. I mean, obviously, you've never quite been in this situation where a, a pandemic has collided with Formula One, as it were, but but there's all, there's often been some of these these sort of seismic events. Obviously, you were very heavily involved with the, uh, with the 94, the, the Imola weekend and everything that happened after that with technically, etc. In terms of that kind of direction and when no one really knows what's going to go on, what's it like to be in the middle of that? On the outside, it's like nobody knows where they're coming or going. And I imagine at times on the other side of the fence, you, you'll be wondering as well. Yeah, you are wondering. I mean, the thing, the rumour mill is horrendous whenever those sort of things are going on. I mean, even back in 1994, you know, Formula One was finished. It was never going to be, they were never going to race again. It was it was all sorts of stuff. But at the end of the day, it was more down to a technical um, situation. So it was addressable by the teams themselves. As I said earlier, this is, this is not like that. This is, this is a world problem, a worldwide problem and a population problem. Um, so it's a different thing. So, you know, the worst thing is the rumour mill. And with social media now, you know, everything gets fed to everybody so fast. Um, and, you know, half of it's not, not true. So the, even the news, watching the news on TV, from my little involvement I had years ago, you know, the news, well, let's say you never spoil a good story with the truth. That's the best way of putting it, I suppose. Um, so you have to take everything with a pinch of salt that's going on. But, you know, whenever you look now at the countries and the reaction of the countries, um, the news, is, that overpowers the news, to be honest. So you just need to stay within yourself and try to do your own thing, really, and make sure you don't listen to all the rumours, try and get as many facts as possible and, and build up the facts. Now, 
the teams should be instructed by the, the governing body or by um, F1, uh, which is Liberty Media in reality, as to what the plan is, because it's a group that's organising it. You know, I, I go back to the Bernie days. Um, this is something bigger than Bernie could have sorted out, but Bernie would sort out most things. But at least if this situation had arose with Bernie there, you would go to one person, that one person would tell you X, and you could rely on that that X was pretty, pretty near the mark. Um, so at the end of the day, we're probably missing that right now. And I have to say that with everything that's happened, and this Ferrari um, engine situation, there's probably reason to think that there's a there's a few people at the head of Formula One um, in the in the um, organising side and in the technical side of it that that maybe need to look 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 over the shoulder at themselves and see whether they did the right thing or not. You know, I think there should be a few heads rolled to be honest because all of that stuff um, was not handled very well at all. So. You know, you need to make sure you, that you show a recovery for Formula One's sake and all of that stuff. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that, Bernie. I suspect perhaps he would have, although it's a different situation he's being confronted with, probably have avoided some of the the confusion that uh, had this amazing situation where we knew the race was not going to happen kind of by the small hours of, uh, of Friday morning. And it wasn't actually officially cancelled until just after 10 in the morning on, on Friday when they'd, they'd already been crowd queued up at the gates for, for ages. So it just sort of descended into this real, real mess. And it's frustrating when Formula One kind of gives a bad account of itself in that regard. Because you mentioned this problem we saw coming. I remember speaking with you five, six weeks ago about these uh, this early phase of the season, didn't we? And whether it would happen, etc. So it, it does seem like they've they've kind of gambled and not been ready to react when things have got away from them. Well, I think you could sum it up, sir. They neglected the responsibility, the responsibility of 3,000, whatever, as I say, um, media, teams, people going to a circuit and mixing with another hundred and something thousand public coming to watch the race. You know, it's all right to say, oh, just, you know, don't don't get too close. But you can't, you know, it's impossible to do that. So you have to react to that situation. I, I thought Bahrain was reasonably responsible and saying, okay, let's race with no people there. But this is a people's sport as well. So at the end of the day, it was a solution to a single problem Bahrain come up with, but that problem just got bigger and bigger. So, you know, as you say, the, the, the tests that were done in, in Melbourne and one McLaren guy going down with the coronavirus, you know, was enough to pip it because in the pit lane, who, how many people have had it? It'd be interesting to see if, if, if the teams are honest enough after this, couple of weeks that they, they go through as to whether or not you know there is a percentage of people in the pit lane and the media that actually have had some effect from it to see what the, the risk level really was at the moment as far as I know it's one guy from McLaren's gone down with it and about 20 others have been tested but uh, the real numbers need to come out in the open to, be, to show the risk that really was there because it's a typical event where it nearly happened it probably wouldn't have been any worse even if the race had gone on than what had happened previous to the race, except for the mixture of the public coming in. But uh, still, it would be nice to see those facts and that they put them down on a either a near miss or actually we weren't stupid about it at all. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And hopefully that will emerge over time. You know, how many, because obviously with the, the fact you people can be infected without knowing about it so that can give us an idea of, of uh, yeah, how big the uh, big the problem could be. But it's, it's a very strange situation i guess for everyone and it's also a strange situation for those going back because you're going to have race team personnel whose job is to 
run the cars to optimize the cars etc who've who've almost got nothing to do at the moment so what 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 would you do if you had a team of of mechanics and and engineers who you don't necessarily have something you can point them at in in these few weeks in these what these few months so that that what do you do with that well that's very very true i mean i hope it doesn't lead to uh to staff reductions in some of these teams. I don't think it can because most teams want to hang on to the people they've got. They, they consider themselves to have a good a good structure of, of team. Um, but you're right, you know, it, it is going to be a few months now. So there are a lot of people that, that do very little else, which is a wrong way to say it probably, but do very little else other than go to the race meetings. You know, back at the factory, they're, they're, they're part of the team, but you know, their job is on race weekends. So they're going to be twiddling their thumbs a little bit, to be honest, because there's not much you can do. So um, the teams are really going to have to work work out their their uh, schedule of trying to give some people a bit more time off. Obviously, the teams are, it seems to be that all the teams are taking their 14 days quarantine in the way back and coming back and having their 14 days quarantine. So that's 14 days off work. Ferrari have even shut down the factory completely. I mean, it's a it's a pretty bad situation in, in Italy at the moment, to be honest. For for all of that, um, so it can get out of control pretty quickly, and you don't want motorsport to be leading that, and you don't want it to be in your factory. Um, so you're better to take as much action of people staying at home um, and getting through the potential of having it as possible. And you have to do that early on. You can't do it later. So I think the next, the rest of March, the beginning of April, will be down to sort of trying to make sure everybody's okay. Um, and then from there on in, you can sort of maybe maybe make a plan, and we'll probably see then, you know, if the world infections start to drop off, um, if it looks as though it's getting itself under control. Um, I'm I'm a bit surprised because you know that, that somewhere along the line, some of these pharmaceutical companies haven't really come up with anything that might just help. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's what three months probably since we've known about this now, um, and. I'm not saying it's easy because I don't know anything about it, but at the end of the day, you'd think they'd be pushing pretty hard and that the governments worldwide would be putting in big funds for research into these into an antidote for this. So um, it's very early days. Um, I, I, you know, not been involved with it like this before, so I think we have to let it let it wash out over the next month or something and see what happens. But from my point of view, there will be a lot of people not not working very hard over the next little while. And maybe that's the way it's going to have to be because of shutting down schools and kids staying at home and all that sort of stuff anyway. So you know, Formula One not existing might actually play into the hands of trying to keep people away from each other. And, and obviously, because it's such a serious situation, you know, it's, it, it, absolutely this action has to be taken. But it's frustrating, isn't it? Because we had all the testing and we got to this point where we're hoping we're going to get at least some answers and then suddenly everything's put on on hold and it could be it could be months well it will be months now at least before we have any kind of clear indication of, of where things are uh, are going to be for these uh, for, for these teams so it's uh, it's, it's just a, a very strange situation I guess all sports are in, the, in this scenario but we've got still all those questions but no answers and we don't even know when we're going to get those answers now. Yeah, it is. It is a dragged out, um, a dragged out winter. I have to say, but you know, it's it's. I think it's bigger than than Formula One. So I, I'm not disappointed in any way that sports been kicked in the head um, to try and control this. I think it's the, completely 100 percent the right thing to do. Um, so Formula One, you know, it isn't bigger than the rest of the world. They just got to make sure that they they sort of show the signs of being able to 
see the big picture as opposed to just seeing Formula One. Um, and that's what I'm saying about decisions. You know, they need to make those right decisions. They need to look at themselves a bit as well inside the Formula One because this this stuff with the Ferrari engine from last year is is a bit like again hidden decisions. A bit like the the coronavirus situation in Australia. It, it nobody was willing to put it in the open to, to sort of try to put it put the cards on the table and try and make the best decisions. And it's again the same within themselves within the sport, and they need to recover from that. Yeah, you're right, and the uh, you know the whole Ferrari engine thing's going to continue to rumble on, and it was sort of talked about a little bit on the the Thursday at the at the circuit, and uh, and in fact Claire Williams, uh, deputy team principal of Williams, suggested that it was kind of almost down to Ferrari what gets revealed. So it's just a yeah incredibly difficult situation because if you're Ferrari, you're not going to want to give away anything, uh, are you? Because you know there was potential wrongdoing <laughs> uh, allegations of wrongdoing going on there so it's it's hard to see how there's a way out of this spiral is it the FIA's probably signed up to this settlement with Ferrari and and they're just going to keep batting away any any claim to reveal it yeah it's true um and it's a mess to have got into but it, it's been there for a long time to be honest you know I, I've known through my period of um contacting the FIA with a you know basically a, a concept or a, a design or a, a solution or a system to put in the car and getting told, no, no, we can't, we can't do that because, you know, blah, blah, blah. Whenever you know 100% that another team has got that or got something similar, that's the only reason you're asking the questions. So this is the same thing with this Ferrari situation. You know, the, the Red Bull Mercedes question asking, I think it was, of the FIA about solutions somewhere somebody knew that Ferrari were doing something. You know, I'm totally surprised that Ferrari um, doing anything illegal personally because of the, the might of Ferrari. But you, I wouldn't say what they were doing was necessarily illegal. It might have been pushing the rules past the limit that little bit. But there, there must have been an opening there to allow it to happen. Um, and it's a bit like flexing wings. You know, we get this thing where the aerodynamic surfaces, you know, mustn't mustn't flex. We get all this testing on the wings. We see the wings moving. We see the wings flexing on TV. You can't stop them flexing. They are going to move. And there's a degree that if you put in tests for the the, the wing deflection, all the teams do is pass the tests. So the the, the actual wording of Nothing must, nothing aerodynamic must must move or is allowed to move. It's completely irrelevant because it, it all does move. We, we we see it. It's visible. The FIA see it. The teams see it. It's all visible stuff. And the the engine rules are just the same with Ferrari. But the most important thing you have to do is have a level playing field with that sort of stuff. So the only thing that for me that's happened here is that the FIA didn't come forward and say, you know, we've reached an agreement because yes, they were pushing the regulations to the limit. We feel that they were too close to the limit to be um, to be one hundred percent correct, but you know their feeling is that they weren't. So we've made, reached a mutual agreement where they're not going to be naughty boys again. Um, there is a there is a, a way of doing it there to say that, and it's happened before where people have got away with little things. You know, it's just if you take the gear change stuff on, on the cars, you're not allowed an automatic change. You have to have a certain amount of time between one gear and the next gear. But it's minuscule, you know, it's milliseconds. So it doesn't, it's totally unnoticeable. If it was a tenth of a second or a second, you know, then fine. 
So if you're measuring in, in milliseconds, you know, is it is it taking five milliseconds or is it taking six to get from one gear to another? When do you call it being in gear? Is it completely in gear or is it just in the start of that gear? So it's such a fine line between legality and Ill- illegality that um, I think the FIA and Ferrari have got themselves caught up in that. And I don't think they wanted to, either of them, accept responsibility that it was right or wrong. Um, but I think still, you know, it has to be open. Yeah, I think your suggestion is, uh, as ever, far too sensible for F1 <laughs> on that one. Often often the case that these things aren't uh, dealt with that well. Uh, well, obviously, this is the first episode of the, the Gary Anderson uh, F1 show, um, slightly disrupted by uh, by goings-on or, or the lack of goings-on in Formula 1, but we're going to plough on with this uh, weekly podcast. We're obviously hoping uh, to go and uh, do a few on, on-site visits and uh, speak to a few people but uh, we'll see how much we're actually allowed to move around <laughs> in the UK but obviously we're going to jump around different topics uh, uh, over the coming weeks and uh, yeah there's some uh, fascinating insight there into sort of how things go on behind the scenes in Formula One there so uh, thanks very much for that and uh, yeah we'll be back next week with another episode.